Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm Candace Campos. And I'm Lisa Bell. When the pandemic shut down Florida for months, many growers in the state lost all of their business overnight. Many farmers in Florida sell their crops to resorts, theme parks, the cruise industry, and restaurants. But with all of those industries shuttered, they were forced to let their crops go unpicked and in many cases wasted. Those losses were devastating for so many people. Now, two years removed from the start of the pandemic, we are looking to see the full impact of those losses and how Florida's agriculture industry is recovering. And we are so happy to uh, be joined by Dr. Krista Court from the University of Florida. Welcome, Krista. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so we say doctor. So you are a doctor of economics. Yes, that's correct. You know, we were joking before we started taping this. I said the one thing I really took out of economics was supply and demand. And that seems to be kind of the, the, main, the main issue when it comes to a lot of this stuff that we're going to be talking about today. So if you can just start off by walking us through, you know, your credentials and what you're working on at the University of Florida. Sure. So um, my PhD is in economics, but I'm actually in the food and resource economics department at the University of Florida. So it's more of an agricultural and applied economics department. My expertise is in regional economic modeling. So we do a lot of work in the area of economic impact assessments, also economic contributions to study how important a particular sector or industry is to the state or to a region of the state. And we generally release an annual report on the economic contributions of agriculture, natural resources, and food industries in the state of Florida. About five years ago, um, we started down the road of disaster impact analysis. So we look at the direct economic losses associated with things like hurricane events um, for agricultural producers, also things like freezes, um, floods, any of those things. So when the COVID-19 pandemic struck, we were known as the disaster people and were called up to analyze what happened in that particular scenario as well. And I imagine you will be analyzing the pandemic and its long-term effects for many, many years to come. We are, as we mentioned, two years into this now and counting. What are the impacts that you have seen from the shutdowns? Yeah, so I often tell people we are now going to have a career's worth of uh, data and things to analyze now, right? So one of the things that we did early on, we have sort of a rapid assessment process that we go through um, for hurricanes. And we retooled that, um, the survey that we used to be specific to the pandemic early on in the shutdown stages. So we released that in March to mid-May of 2020. Um, it happened to be peak harvest season for a lot of producers, especially in that southwest Florida area that were producing fruits and vegetables. Um, and we estimated at the time, again, just in that one period of March to mid-May of 2020, $895 million of losses for wow. producers. 
Um, um, a lot of that was in uh, fruits and nuts, so about $200 million, um, but also things like vegetable, melons, potatoes, uh, any kind of animal products. We saw in the news things like milk being dumped because it didn't have that institutional market to go into. Um, and we really had a lot of other things happening uh, in order to translate those estimates to what happened over the entire two years. So we don't have a specific value um, beyond doing that first estimate. You have several other projects underway, though, that looked at what happened throughout 2021. We had USDA funding to do that and are starting to get some results from that analysis and seeing the changes that did take place um, once things started to open back up and how those were different in Florida um, from other places because the shutdowns happened at different times. They had different rules to them um, and we produced different things than other places. Also, you know, just in looking at how do consumers react, right? So we're, we're talking about supply here so far and what happened to producers, but now, you know, all of us know we consumed food differently during the shutdown and that might've affected what we go back to permanently. You know, do we go back to behaving exactly like we did before the pandemic or are we still eating at home more often than we did before? And that's gonna affect how um, the overall impact of the pandemic. And I mean, did you see a, a certain fruit, a certain farmer that kind of was was kind of spared from the pandemic? Is there was there a niche that was okay? Um, I think it. I, so it did vary by crop, right? And a lot of that was timing, mm-hmm. right? If you had something that you were ready to sell to market, and that market shut down. You know, as you said at the beginning, almost overnight, it wasn't really an alternative um, to go to. It, we like to think that, you know, you could switch and sell it to a different style of consumer or you could donate it. But the sheer volume of product that comes out of Florida, it didn't allow us to do that for all of it, right? Um, some of the producers that maybe in the northern Florida uh, area where they had products that were you know, two, three months away from being peak harvest season when the shutdowns began, they could kind of prep for that and try to think of alternatives, alternative ways of selling the products, um, alternative markets to go through to sell the products. And they were able to, I don't want to say be fully spared, but they were able to prep for it a little bit. Um, And we saw that too when we studied um, some other states, you know, states that are further north and their products come online later in the year, they had that time to prepare and they might've even been in the stage where some things were opening back up. It was such an odd time for everyone when you go back to two years ago and so many people were laid off and we would see the lines miles long of people in Mm -hmm. food drives trying to get fresh produce, fresh food, anything to feed their family. And then Put that up next to, you know, pictures of produce rotting in the field. And you talked about, you know, you examine all sorts of disasters, hurricanes, uh, the pandemic, COVID-19. God forbid, you know, we have something down the road. Do you think that we will be better prepared to try and reduce some of that food waste and try and get it uh, into those areas where there is a need? And so it's not just kind of ended up rotting in the field. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a little bit about infrastructure, right? So when when you are talking about um, Florida product that was rotting in the field, a lot of what we produce goes into the fresh market. 
and it goes into the fresh market all the way up and down the East Coast as well as being exported out of the U.S. So even if we tried to switch to, you know, supplying a little bit of something to everybody in the state, we can't consume everything that we grow in the state of Florida. It's just that much product. And the other thing um, to consider is the the longevity of that product, right? If I'm selling into the fresh market and it doesn't stay fresh for very long, you know, it can only stay on the shelf for so long, especially if it's not refrigerated. Um, things like food banks just didn't have enough space in order to keep a product refrigerated, even though they were taking, you know, working with their community and taking advantage of refrigerated space outside of their normal space. Again, it just wasn't enough in order to take the, the volume of fruit that we had. So I think thinking through, um, okay, I mean, food security is not quite the right term, but maybe the, the ability for us to react to a disaster and, and switch very quickly, we're going to need additional infrastructure in order to do that. How much that costs in order to make that switch and how much risk we are at for one of these disasters that requires it again, we'll have to walk through all of those numbers to decide what we can do, right? I mean, I feel like it's a completely different type of disaster. I mean, it was a different type yeah. of disaster for you to research, mm -hmm. let alone Yeah, with know, a farmers. hurricane, typically, I mean, obviously there's crop damage, but usually the power is back on within a few days. Correct. For the most part, most of the roads are open and people aren't afraid to come into contact with another person. Right, it was just, I mean... It, like everything that when when it came to the pandemic, it was just unprecedented. Just, I mean, the pause. I mean, and, talking and, about the infrastructure, right? Too, and all was, the restaurants, right? Shut down. You mentioned mm -hmm. briefly the the you know shift in behavior and people obviously eating at home, um, and will they go back to their old habits? Do you feel like? people are still eating at home more than dining out at restaurants. Because when I go out to a restaurant, they're all packed. And what I see is the re the restaurant owners can't even keep up because they don't even have the staff to deal with the demand mm -hmm. for restaurants. What are you seeing? Yeah, so we, you are correct that this was very much almost a demand side disaster than a supply side disaster. And that's a very different thing for a producer to consider and, and determine how they react to. Um, our, our group doesn't look so much at the consumption side of things, but we do have others within the department that are looking at this um, that are seeing so far still increased sales in some of these fruits and vegetable markets. Some of that is probably due to you know, in, in increased demand for eating them at home, as well as going out to restaurants. And also just, um, you know, I think you have to consider again, some of the infrastructure changes that took place when we have the same experience, we go to a restaurant and it seems like it's packed, but maybe they're not seating all of the tables that they would have sat before, right? They, they're spacing things out a little bit more where they're making adjustments for having fewer um, servers on staff or to try to um, accommodate a, a carry out order line, then I, I think we're it, it's a lot more detailed to look into how much food they're putting out the window, you know, how much food the kitchen is putting out the window versus what we're seeing being served at the tables there. But there is, um, it does seem to be a, a I'm not going to say a permanent shift, but we haven't seen it go all the way back to eating as much away from home as we were pre-pandemic. 
So what is the biggest challenge from the pandemic facing Florida farmers and growers right now? Um, I think it's just still working through a lot of these supply chain disruptions, right? So it's something as big as a pandemic happening and actually shutting down um, a, a, a portion of the economy for a period. It, we're not going to move away from that in two years, right? Um, I, and the growers are responding in terms of you know getting ready for the next season. They don't always know exactly what that market is going to look like when the product is ready anyway. So they're used to taking some risk in terms of you know, getting things in the ground and not knowing what will happen to them before they're ready or what market they will sell into at the end. Um, they're still working through things like, uh, you know, trying to get their hands on cardboard boxes that they might put watermelons into, or you might've heard about the issues finding pallets early in the pandemic. So a lot of that is still working its way through um, supply chains. And now I think we're seeing, you know, compounding effects of other things going on in the world, um, as well as our adjustment back to this new labor market that we're in now. That's just gonna continue to be, um, you know, each of them a disruption and in a different direction for the farmers that they've got to cope with. I mean, did you, is there something within your research that all of a sudden you just said, wow, I, I didn't even think about that because I didn't even think about the pallets or the cardboard boxes. Right. I mean, is there something that really just made you stop for a second and go, okay, that I, mm-hmm. I was not expecting and that. So many things as consumers that we just take for granted. Right. Well, they just arrive on a pallet and then they appear because there Magic. are employees to put them on a store shelf. That's right. We've been doing, I would say, something surprised with specific examples like that surprised me or the fact that, um, you know, one of the things we heard initially was the difference in packaging for something that's going to an institutional market versus um, uh, something you would find on the grocery store shelf. So if I was selling, you know, flour, then I might sell it in this gigantic bag wholesale to a restaurant, but I need these little one pound bags that we might see on the grocery store shelves mm. and the, the, the groups that package those products can't switch overnight either. Um, we're used to looking at that. So, you know, I mentioned I do regional economic modeling. So we, we look at these multiplier effects or these different rounds of spending that happen um, due to final demand for one specific product. So we're used to seeing, you know, the lawyers are important. The finance people are important. <laughs> right. And, and I think a lot of people forget that when they're just trying to think about the food system, right? So they think it's the farmer and then maybe it goes to, um, you know, a packager or a processor and then it gets shows up on the shelf and or it shows up at the restaurant and those largely look the same in their mind. Um, but they're actually very, very different. The logistics involved and the packaging that's involved the time that it takes to do um, one versus the other, and just you know, all of the the you know the, the middle of that supply chain looks very different. You know, whether or not uh, a farmer needs financial assistance, whether they need uh, legal help in order to sell into one market versus another, do they need to be able to be a, an expert at online sales? Maybe not before the pandemic, and a lot of them have moved in that direction now. And so there's a lot of service sectors that are important there as well. So we've probably seen a boom in several of those. How much is the labor market affecting Florida farmers? Um, I think that's another one that, you know, initially early in the pandemic, the effects were different than they might be right now. So um, we use a lot of 
um, guest workers uh, that come in from Latin America on H-2A certifications. There was some initial during the shutdown questions as to whether or not that program was going to go on, and it ultimately did, and we did a lot of education with um, both the, the workers and the managers of those work crews that were coming in in the pandemic. When I say we, I, I'm hmm. talking about the, the University of Florida's IFAS extension faculty throughout the state. Now, I think it's the same um, labor issues that are affecting many other industries. A, a lot of people shifted the positions um, during the pandemic. Some uh, were able to stay on, some things shut down, they lost employees and now they're trying to get employees back. Um, the other thing, when we see these peaks in uh, surges for COVID cases, you have a lot of employees that are out sick or potentially exposed through a child that was in school or you know, any other situation that's going on at home that that causes a pause um, on the farm or a pause in these processing plants as well. I, mean, I feel like we're riding this wave because, yeah. you know, the pandemic happened, everything shut down. So then it was a issue of just getting stuff out. Then, you know, months later, it became the truckers were were becoming, you know, that were, there was an issue there. And then it goes to the restaurants and then the packaging. And now and it's the labor and, and the, the Delta variant. And now it's yeah. And it's now the labor shortage. I just feel like, is this wave going to finally yeah. just kind of. When do you Come think down. we will be as close to normal as we possibly can be? Now, you know, I can't answer that question. <laughs> Forecast, of course, um, please. So I, but I, I think it comes back to this idea, uh, you know, we call it rounds of spending in uh, the area of economics that I do. But it's really about, you know, you're, I think you're seeing these play out and play out over time. And we never really know how long it will fully take place to get all the way through. So think of something like um, a citrus grower. There's a certain number of things that they have to purchase in order to produce citrus or whatever market that they're selling it into, right? That might include um, fertilizer, might include plant trees from the nursery, uh, the labor to pick the fruit. Then if you take one step back, in order to get the trees from the nursery, the nursery grower had to purchase a whole bunch of input goods and services in order to produce that tree for the citrus grower. Right. And you can keep taking a step back and say, all right, the nursery grower had to have fertilizer, maybe was one of the things they needed. Well, a fertilizer producer had to at some point purchase input goods and services to produce that fertilizer. So I think if you really thought through the complexity of all of those purchases and all of those different rounds, that's what we're still seeing play out here. And it's playing out with all of these compounding events um, you know, like what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now, those are going to be on top of what we're still seeing play out. From the How is that affecting Florida farmers, that conflict? Um, I, I don't, it's not one that we have analyzed specifically in our group. One of the things that I hear most about um, from growers is the rise in fertilizer prices that is related um, yeah. to that conflict. So that's increasing prices of inputs and you know, may or may not see an increase in the price that they're getting at the end of um, harvest season. So the profits will go down if their expenditures are going way up, but the revenues are not. What do you see as the biggest threat facing Florida farmers? Is it the pandemic? Is it citrus greening? Is it climate change? Hurricanes, war. Yeah. I, I, so I think it's all of these things, right? So we, in Florida, we are used to having 
things like hurricanes. Sometimes we get more than one hurricane in one particular hurricane season, right? And we've, we still have farming in the state, right? The, the farmers in Florida are resilient, they're hardworking, and they're going to keep facing these compounding effects of disasters over time. Uh, takes a toll, right? So I think we should also consider things like, um, you know, mental health. A lot of it, we heard a lot about mental health just in the general population as we went through the pandemic. But if you have to keep facing uh, a lot of these different types of hazard events over time, that can take a toll as well. Um, so I, I think, you know, just we have a, a large cooperative extension faculty in the state of Florida, both from the University of Florida Florida A&M University, we're always there to try to combat any disaster that comes, right? So I think we've learned a lot from the past. We're ready um, to face those types of disasters again, but then we're also ready to realize that the compound effects of these over time is taking a toll and we need to find solutions for that as well. I mean, we were also just, you know, we were just talking about like, we have the, we have COVID, we have hurricanes, we have, you know, the changing climate, all this stuff. Have you seen some farmers just close up shop and just say, I'm, I'm done with it? Take me out of the research. We're, we're done. Some did. Yeah, some did. When we initially asked um, that survey, we had to ask, you know, are you closed? You know, did yeah. you shut down or are you still open? If you are shut down, do you plan to reopen? And there were some that answered that survey is no, we've, we've given up. Um, and in some cases that was solely because of the pandemic. In other cases, it might've been some other things that were compounding over time and the pandemic was the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, but it, there have been some that have gone completely out. On the other hand, there's the pandemic has given everybody a chance to adapt. And there's some people that are coming into, um, into farming in the state of Florida at the same period. So. And we often hear, you know, in the news that Florida is the number one destination for people across mm -hmm. the country to move to. How is development affecting Florida farmers? Because we hear that a lot, too, that, you know, they're kind of being they have no choice but to sell because the prices are just so good for their land and that that's putting added pressure on the Florida farming industry. Yeah, that's that's an additional thing that they have to consider is just development and the, the unique shape of the state, the direction that we can develop is, is inland, right? And that's where a lot of this um, agricultural production takes place. So if the land values are going up for that reason. It's still, I, I don't know that I would say they have to sell um, when that happens, but the, the price is such that they're willing to do that. Yeah. Well, is, is there anything positive that we can we end with a positive <laughs> note? Uh, no, I think we we have had a positive note, right? Like they're adapting and a majority of them True. are still sticking it out, um, staying through the pandemic. I think that everyone has had to adapt. Um, farmers are not unique in that um, perspective, but they have diversified the market channels that they're selling through. I, I myself have found that there's a lot more, if I would like it, local product available to me. And I know about it now because mm -hmm. there are more people advertising through social media, or there are more people that have a UPIC operation or an agritourism operation, or just a place that I can order online and pick up on the farm or pick up somewhere here in town that wasn't there pre-pandemic, or if it was there, I didn't hear about it as often as I hear about it now. So I, I think there are a lot of ways that 
Um, farmers have been able to adapt. Um, they've been able to connect with the local community even more than they were able to do so in the past. And that's a, a bright note. And I also think that all of us know a little bit more about where our food comes from, mm-hmm. um, having lived through this and having seen everything on the news. So I hope that we can we can take that into consideration and be thankful for it. And I feel like oftentimes when we think about farmers, we think, oh, well, in order to be a farmer, you know, you have to have thousands upon thousands of acres and be producing all sorts of stuff. But many of the people you were just kind of talking about, you know, have kind of smaller areas. It's a passion. It is a passion. And they Mm -hmm. are making a livelihood out of it and serving their community. Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of small farms in the state of Florida also. So we actually have um, 47,000 farms in the state of Florida that operate on about 9.7 million acres. And they produce $10 billion worth of crops, livestock, and forest products. So it's not, uh, we're not talking about solely thousands of acres out there. We have some larger producers. We have some um, middle-sized producers. And then there's a lot of um, small producers that, that, you know, we talked about the geographic difference at the beginning. There was a difference in how those um, size sections were um, impacted by the pandemic as well. So I think... Yeah, I think we forget that there's a lot of small producers. Mm -hmm. And where can we find information? I know you guys continue to do research throughout the year. I mean, what's your what's the next, you know, release of information, new numbers, how things are starting to shift? Yeah, so we're we are always working on trying to get things up on our website. So I direct the UFIFAS Economic Impact Analysis Program. We have a website and we also have a website specific to our disaster impact analysis. So we can, you can find those there. Um, Google should take you straight to those without me having to go through the complete URL. We'll, we'll, we'll most um, likely link it as well yeah. on clickorlando.com <laughs> slash yeah. foodie. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you so much for joining us. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, a part of our state that affects each and every one of us yes. every single day, whether it's the food that we put in our mouth or our pocketbook, we're all touched by this in some way or another. And it's interesting to see, you know, what's affecting our farmers in our state and what we can do to continue to support them. Thank you so much. Yep. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We'd also like to thank our guest, Dr. Krista Court with the University of Florida. Please take the time to follow our hosts online, search Lisa Bell News on Facebook and Instagram, or Lisa Bell News 6 on Twitter. And for Candace Campos, you can find her on Twitter, just search at Candace News 6, and on Facebook, search Candace Campos News 6. Also, a big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Haley, and our director, Rich Burns. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. Please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or you can tell a friend about us. It really helps us out. And you can find videos of all of our podcasts on clickorlando.com slash Florida Foodie, and be sure to sign up for the Florida Foodie newsletter while you're there.